0: A lot can happen in three years, like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at UH1.com. Welcome to The Broad Experience, the show about women, the workplace, and success. I'm Ashley milne This week, a debate on Facebook Chief Operating Officer Sheryl Sandberg's book, Lean In. The subtitle of the book is Women, Work and the Will to Lead. And in it, Sandberg asks women to examine the internal obstacles that are holding them back from getting to the top. The book's topping the New York Times bestseller list in the US, and Leaning In has become a catchphrase and a big topic of conversation among professional women. There were six women in this debate, including me. We were hosted by Dora Komiak, a longtime listener to the podcast, at her family's apartment in Greenwich Village in Manhattan. I'll let
1: everyone introduce themselves.
2: I'm Stacey Marie Ishmael, and I work in technology and
1: media. I'm Yvonne Martin, and I work for an e-commerce company by day, and I'm a board member of a dance company by night.
3: I'm Dora Komiak, and I have an advisory firm that helps companies figure out what to do online.
4: I'm Gia Freireich, and I'm a Relationship Manager for a financial software company. I'm
5: Rebecca Jackson, and I'm a former investment banking professional turned
4: startup consultant and
0: advisor. Before we plunge into the conversation, I should say that Princeton professor Anne-Marie Slaughter comes up in conversation a few times. She's the former State Department official who wrote an article last summer in The Atlantic entitled Why Women Still Can't Have It All. And her views on women and work are often mentioned as a counterpoint to Sandberg's because Slaughter focuses on the external obstacles women face in getting ahead, like gender bias and lousy childcare policies. I mean, I thought I would just begin by asking people... Because there was such a brouhaha about this book before it even was published, I wanted to just ask people to pitch in and say, what did you think of the book versus what you thought you knew about it before you read it?
4: Well, initially, um, I read the book before I read any of the, the reviews, and I found her very likable, and I liked the idea of promoting the idea of women in leadership, and I think she had great advice. I think it was after I read it um and I enjoyed it a lot that I started also thinking that there were maybe her audience was something that was very specific and um that there was a lot that wasn't really inclusive and in, in maybe um, some of the issues that that people are facing right now such as unemployment um and maybe you know you don't necessarily have all those choices. I'll
1: say that um I went into the book with very negative expectations. Um I had read a lot uh, I had read Anne Marie sauter's um articles and a lot of other blog posts that just kind of ripped it to shreds and, you know, um suggested that she was just coming from a privileged back, you know, point of view and, you know, didn't really have anything to say to the masses, but I told I felt completely the opposite after reading it because I felt like it was just a positive message in as a whole I didn't find any I didn't find anything that wasn't applicable to any woman that I knew even despite the different ways you might interpret it or her specific circumstances I feel like her message was attainable by all women or within reach I was
2: one of those people who sent her 2010 TED Talk to absolutely everybody that I knew when it came out at the the time. And, you know, I remember telling my friends, I really want to know what your perspective on this. I think it's really interesting. And so I felt like her book was a longer version of her TED Talk with some things that I found less sympathetic, partly because they were expanded. And one of the things I found less sympathetic was there are no voluntarily single people in her book and there are no gay couples in her book. Everything about her book is calibrated around, here's how you're going to succeed in your, in your marriage, in your family, and in your workplace. And those three things are sort of this inseparable triumvirate. And the one anecdote that she relayed about why single people need to get out is like, so I can meet a potential husband. It's like, really? <laughs> I'm like, I just want to go to yoga class <laughs> and not be judged for that. If you can pick up your kids after school, I can go to yoga class. Let's call that fair. And so I found that to be very challenging because it it imposes a very specific way of thinking about what work-life balance and what success looks like in a way that I didn't personally feel was sufficiently inclusive.
3: I was amazed at how well written it was. And the thing that surprised me the most is that 25% of the book, and I know this because I read it on my Kindle, 25% of the book is footnotes. And the book is written by about a dozen people. So the book is a product, part of which is Sheryl Sandberg's photograph on the cover and her title and her contribution of several anecdotes and getting it together. But just like an organization requires lots of different people to contribute, lots of people contributed to this book.
0: And we'll come back to that idea of how much of Sandberg is actually in the book a bit later. Gia works in sales for a financial software company, and she says while she enjoyed the book, she thinks Cheryl Sandberg's position makes it tricky for her to understand the situations a lot of other working women face. She likes the emphasis Sandberg places on taking risks to get to the next stage of your career.
4: So it was very motivating, I think. It's something that I wish I had done more of earlier in my career, but I also think the reality is it's it's harder to do um, when you get to a certain point. Like, I'm in my 40s now, and I think that the reality is being a woman in your 40s in sales, you, you know, there's risk and then there's reality. And um, so there. I think that there's a lot of ageism in other areas, you know, that maybe, you know, she started a career from Ivy League schools and, you know, had done well for herself. And I'm someone who sort of uh, transitioned my career midstream i'm very at this point i think hesitant to take risks she's
0: probably not the only one i agree with gia on other fronts too in general i really enjoyed i enjoyed it i thought like you that it was very well written partly i mean mostly thanks to nell Scoville, i'm sure her co-writer but um, the one thing that i did notice was not only does she i almost feel like she bends over backwards to to praise everyone. You know, she bends over backwards not to offend anyone, whether you're a stay-at-home mom or uh, she just she tries to cover all her bases. I thought perhaps a little bit too much. It's like she doesn't want anyone to hate her. At least that's how it felt to me. I agree with you that there are risk factors for many of us that I feel that she's been able to ride above because of the trajectory that she's had. And perhaps some of the other people that she knows who also seem to be in very high level positions. I mean, I got a lot out of the book, but, but I think that she's, she's perhaps so up here that she maybe doesn't see some of the things that more normal people do have to face boring little itty bitty things that don't fit neatly into into the narrative all the time. Yes, there are there are two people
2: explicitly mentioned in this book who are not white. One is a Hispanic male and one is an African-American male. And she uses them both as examples of people who sympathized with her when she was in an awkward situation because they were used to either having somebody not like call on them when questions were asked or make fun of them in the office in a way that was inappropriate. And I thought, well, that's really interesting because she recognizes it when it's an African-American male and a Hispanic male and how them being different affects them. But she never talks about how non-white women have totally different experiences on top of everything that she's described.
5: She is writing something now that is, I think, generally right from her perspective and we have to I think read it as such like we'll read things through our own lens but she's also writing through her own lens and I think she's not saying this is the panacea because I actually read some you know the police other um, articles where women were basically talking about you know well how does this relate to a woman that's doing a far more kind of like blue collar kind of job and and I think if if we start to look at this as to be the answer for everything then we're, we're we're trying to make it more than it actually is trying to be and that's because we want that and we're obviously trying to get to a bigger answer but I think we have to be careful to set it within this is opening doors it's starting a new conversation it hopefully allows then those additional parts of the conversation that need to come out to the forefront to be part of that And and I think I get I get the feeling from the way she writes is you know yes she to a degree is trying to please everyone but at the same time I think there's a level of humility in there that says I don't know all the answers feel free to critique me and tell me where my gaps are and I think that's what we have to do
2: I don't disagree with that. I think the challenge that I have with with Lean In is that it's a machine. It's an extremely well-oiled publicity machine. It's an extremely well-oiled series of events and circles and... It's dominating all of the conversation about everything, and so the fact is, in as much as we can say, but it's opening up the conversation for these other people. It's actually not, because in as much as it's taking the conversation away from like the strident feminism of the sixties and seventies and eighties, it's now all about feminism means being very very successful and getting to the C-suite. Like those are, you know, that's the the narrative that's being enabled by this in a lot of ways, and that's that's what I have a
0: problem with. I'm not so sure that's what the book is doing, or at least it didn't strike me that way. But this is one of those books that everyone reads from their very personal perspective. But also, I mean, I I'm, I feel that because I'm not like you, at all, Rebecca, I wasn't really ambitious at all. When I was younger, I really didn't know what I wanted. I've had this very messy, quote, career trajectory. Um, and I would say I'm more ambitious now, you know, in my early 40s than I was six, seven eight years ago when I was putting all my emphasis on a relationship and and coasting a little bit on the job front when I perhaps could have Leave looking that. back on it exactly <laughs> exactly so the word? no what because the word? I because I was I, re- I really in hindsight I realized after the relationship had ended and after the relationship with the employer had ended that I could have been paying more attention perhaps and doing some of these things that I didn't a I, I was I was in that back then I was typically female and British and that I thought you know speaking up for myself was vulgar and why should you need to do it when you were doing the work and it was clear that you were doing a good job all this stuff which is partly why I started doing this show but I'm not this super I'm not the the super ambitious person who ever wanted the the corner office or anything I I've always wanted to be happy and fulfilled in what I do but I've totally value my free time even though I'm not married and I don't have kids and yet I didn't feel like the book was putting me down in any way. For Yvonne it was the chapter that brought out the differences between men's and women's approaches to job applications that really struck her. Men will apply for a job even if they only have some of the qualifications required. Women feel they must have virtually all of them before they'll apply.
1: The fact that more women are afraid of being seen as a fraud or the guilt, the guilt that was sort of persistently brought up in the sit at the table uh, chapter. That was probably the part of the book that resonated the most deeply with me, because I can't tell you how many countless jobs I've thought, oh, you know at first i'm like i could do that job and then it's like oh well no well they want this and they want this and you know i you know oh i'm not qualified and if i show up there i'm gonna embarrass all women you know and and no other woman's gonna be able to get a job after no black women for sure like you know like oh no i'm gonna close the door behind me if i you know can't answer every single question on this interview or whatever
0: This episode is sponsored by Squarespace. Squarespace offers web design and hosting that anyone can use. And I should know because I built the Broad Experience site on Squarespace. You choose from one of their beautiful templates and plug in your own content. And Squarespace sites are built to look great on any computer with customized designs for iPhones, iPads and other mobile devices. Broad Experience listeners can get a free trial of Squarespace with no credit card required by going to squarespace.com slash broad. If you do decide to subscribe to Squarespace after your trial, you can save 10% by entering the offer code BROAD4 just below the pricing options. Again, it's squarespace.com forward slash BROAD for your free trial and offer code BROAD4, and that's BROAD followed by the number 4 to save 10% once you decide to sign up. It wasn't long before we got onto a discussion about the chapter called "Don't Leave Before You Leave." This is where Sangberg famously claims too many women switch off their ambition before they've ever got pregnant, or sometimes even have a partner, because they're thinking ahead about how they'll balance work and family. Rebecca was a hard charging investment banker till she quit in two thousand eleven.
5: To a degree, that's partly what I've done. Like I left, I left banking. Um, because I was burned out but I also had in the back of my mind this is not what I want if I'm going to be a parent and I could already see the guilt I could already sort of like before even having a child I could sense this is going to be painful in ways that I won't be able to deal with and I I can't I don't think I'll be able to bear the thought of doing two things really sort of like badly or at least that's how I felt um so I thought I need to leave now and figure out something else Quick enough before, you know, one's eggs run out and all that kind of stuff. Um, So it's it. And I thought, well, is that leaning back? And then I read an interesting article that's a bit of a follow up to this saying that essentially before you lean in, make sure you're leaning into the right road. So it's not like going, just lean into everything, just regardless, just lean in like the Leaning Tower of Pisa and hope for the best. It's more like, what is it you actually want and lean into that? And I I think and I hope that Cheryl would, you know, agree with me that my own personal sort of change has been lean into a, a different kind of career, but one that I feel where I might work the same level of hours, but my ability to be flexible around, you know, a, a life with children will potentially be greater. And that, you know, is something that I think definitely was a key part that really, really spoke to me.
0: And talking of kids, in our group, Dora was the only one who has them. She and her husband have twin girls who are eight. She felt Sandberg didn't say enough about how she manages her home life.
3: So it's sort of like the whole pregnancy chapter in here. You know, she tells her own story. She has all these researchers, give all the stats. And at the end of the day, it's just, look, women deliver the kids. And men or partners, however you define them, need to be allowed to be partners and parents. And that's where I think we as a society need to work on, like, letting other people raise your children. Some of the best advice I ever got was, the more people love your child, the healthier your child will be. And that kind of context of like, let other people in, (laughs) you know, let your partner in to be a parent. Let your best friend from college who's single be an uncle, you know, let... just let them in and I don't think we hear enough of that so I wish she had talked a little bit more about that because she's very closed on how her kids are actually raised that's true actually I haven't thought about that very closed on like what are the details how do you do okay it's nice that you sit down once a week with your husband and map out who's picking up the kids from school every day great piece of tactical advice
0: But how many nannies does she have? Like, does she have one nanny? Does she have two? Yeah. How does it work with relatives?
3: Right. And you need a lot of people. And you've always needed a lot of people. And I think that's the parenting thing that I wish she, I think she will over the next five years as her kids grow up, as she transitions from being COO of a public company to leading a social movement. Um, I think I, I predict here I am going on the record predicting that she'll um, talk more about the different kinds of people, that, the different ways she's organized her staff or support network to do it. I wish, her, I wish she does because it's not real any other way.
4: Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite.
0: Can I just, just changing tack slightly, I want to pick up on something that Gia said, which we is... We were sort of talking about that authenticity at work um aspect of the book and i think that chapter is called "Was it called speaking your truth i think and i was just l- looking at that again today and, and that's one of the chapters that struck me as slightly incongruous in that because i know you know stacy <laughs> St- stacy and i have to should have talked about this before because she talks about a couple of times when she cried at work and she and then she goes on to say how it's essentially better to be this way, to be able to be your whole self. And this is just something that I spoke about in the latest show with Kathy Caprino. But I personally think this is, this is another area where her, you know, quote privilege comes about because I think okay, if Sheryl Sandberg wants to cry at work, even if at the time she wasn't CEO of Facebook, that's okay. But for a normal person, I don't know. What I do you think? you were in a pretty stressful yeah, situation. But, but I mean... In, but front of, but- in
5: front of managers. And it was I, okay? I, I, mean, I, I, wouldn't, mean- I wouldn't go as far as to say it was okay, but I do recall crying when I was told about a management change decision affecting me and that I think my bonus at the end of one year having worked like I'd never worked in my life and got probably the best review I'd ever got and then because the bank wasn't doing so well the whole bonus situation was really disappointing and I did I burst into tears and uh and (laughs) my yes over money I know it's it's terrible why am I saying this publicly um but it it, was in front of my manager who's a very senior guy and I remember I said something to the effect of I'm just going to cry now because this hurts and uh you know, I need to sort of get my act together and you're going to just let me cry because if I do that, I'll be able to go back to my job, like my desk and do my job. But I was, I I spent a lot of time um, actually talking to people about emotion being okay and emotion not being a disease. And part of that is because, happy to admit, I had a um, post-traumatic stress disorder in my 20s and a lot of sort of dealings with depression. So like emotion was just a strong part of um, just my everyday life. And I think that it is an important thing and we can't deny it. And if we keep pretending that human beings are completely objective and trying to turn them into machines, we will all be replaced by machines much, much quicker than we ever realise. So I don't think it's easy to cry at work. I'm not saying it's necessarily the right thing to do in a situation, but I'm definitely a strong believer that, you know, if you are wired like me and you are an emotional person, it's better out than in sometimes.
0: But Stacy says the problem is all emotes are not created equal, or at least not viewed in the same light. It all depends on your status in the hierarchy.
2: Certain people can have emotions at work, whether those emotions are positive or negative. And I think the thing, Sheryl Sandberg isn't angry anywhere in this book. You know, going back to the earlier point about bending over absolutely backward to be... compliant and easygoing and absolutely understanding and wonderful never angry anywhere in the book and i think you know women being angry is a fraught fraught issue and one that she does not discuss and women in authority sometimes have to be angry sometimes have to be really really pissed off and sometimes have to hold people to account and there are there are so many layers of complexity with one being a woman in position of power two being in a, a position of power who has to be angry with people and how you phrase that. You know, if you're going into a meeting and you have to be smiling while you are absolutely furious, it does a, it does a little <laughs> bit to kind of undermine, undermine the message that you're trying to tell. Or if you're trying to send an email that says, I don't approve of your behavior today and you have to end it in a smiley face so that people don't think you're a bitch. It's just, you know, it's, it's really complex. And I feel that one, she's in a position where she probably doesn't have to be angry with people because she has people who can be angry with people on her behalf. And two, she's been so senior for so long that it's just, it's easy for her to be comfortable with displaying these emotions in this context because nobody's going to tell her that wasn't appropriate.
3: But Sandberg never gets angry in the book because Sandberg's never in the book. She's, I mean, it, it's a product and she is an important part of the product and she's a very powerful part of the product. But it's not her diary. Like if you were to get a couple drinks in her and like ask her at 2 a.m. Like, what do you really think? It, it, no like this is not what you would hear and that's okay because that's not what this book is this book is not a tell-all memoir of here's how i did it this book is something that dislodges a stalemate of a conversation and moves it into something else but she's not risking a ton by writing this book exactly Exactly. (laughs) exactly she's not risking a ton by writing this book And that's so. like, once you realize that like, this is not my best friend Cheryl telling me what she thinks, there's some good stuff in there.
0: For Yvonne, one of the main nuggets of good stuff was the message that women need to be more confident, to doubt themselves less and to care about claiming credit where credit is due.
1: You know, you hear about these titans of business who were known not necessarily for their, well, yes, they always had a certain genius about them in terms of strategy or negotiations or things like that but they weren't always the best you know tactical executor and i feel like women often get siloed into the workhorse of perfection and we are going to carry the weight of this organization on our shoulders we are going to make this happen muscle it through and who cares if we get the credit it happened we are happy to see it happen (laughs) we're not happy to toot our own horn and say yeah i did that and all you well
0: Women, she says, need to own it, to put their stamp on something and say, I did this and I'm proud of it. Dora says, yes, we do need to put a stake in the ground.
3: they got to be owning it, right? Women need to be owning it. But at the same time, I think we need to be celebrating guys who are not owning it. I mean, I had a big aha moment. Seriously, the guys who are leaning back, man, let's make some poster children out of these things. So my brother-in-law, classic Anglo-Saxon white male soccer star, right? In sales, you know him.
4: You know him.
3: Nice guy. Nice guy. Um, and he works from home three days a week. Has a little house cabana. I'm like, okay, so Marsh, so you know what's going on? Like, what's your story? Oh, well, you know, I like to have dinner with the kids. I like to get them off to school. Wow, poster boy, NCAA soccer goalie, hoo had whatever. We gotta put your face on the cover of like something.
0: Rebecca agrees that men who take on less traditional roles need more validation.
3: And I know
5: many women um, and sort of peers of mine and people I work with who were the, the biggest earners in their partnership. Um, and you know it's it's more normal I think it's something now like 30% of women I think she quotes in the book are, are, are their their spouses or their, their significant other and that's something that we have to find a way to get a good lexicon around to make guys feel good about that as well because at the moment it becomes emasculating like I know for, for sure that I would never have survived the last few years I was working in banking if it wasn't for my husband like he was an incredible rock definitely is, you know, I mean, one of those people that does half and half, picks up the slack in the areas where I'm rubbish, such as paying bills on time and getting things filed and stuff like I I can do super organized in office but once I leave that environment I am basically a one woman SHIT show um, so you know it's I, I really do believe that that's important and we we do we need to sort of elevate the role of those guys who are man enough in themselves to be able to play that kind of role and you know be be an equal partner
0: and on that note that's the broad experience for this time thanks very much to my five guests on this week's show you can let me know what you think of the show at thebroadexperience.com. We have a Facebook page, which you are most welcome to like. And I'm on Twitter at Ashley Melntype. That's all one word without the hyphen. It just gets too complicated. And if you're interested in more stories about women, check out another program. This one focuses on women in science and how they got to where they are. It's called Stories from the Field and it comes from the Chemical Heritage Foundation. Go to chemheritage.org slash storiesfromthefield. The broad experience is supported by the Mule Radio Syndicate. You can also help this one-woman production by kicking in a few bucks at the support page on thebroadexperience.com. And if you know someone who'd like the show, please spread the word. I'm Ashley milne Tite. Thanks for listening.
1: Marketers and advertisers, brands big and small. You've been after a special someone for a while now. You think they're into you. I mean, you share the same interests, both passionate about the same stuff. Why wouldn't they be? Wait. There's a moment of silence. It's finally just you two alone. They're waiting. Go on, shoot your shot. You've got a voice. Use it now. Hearts are racing. Breathing becomes heavier. This is your chance to win them over. So what are you going to say? Get closer to your audience.
4: Make podcast ads with Acast. Head to go.acast.com slash closer to get started.